my message today is, what does God think when he thinks about you and me? But first, I'd like to talk about muffins, okay? I used to have a dog by the name of Muffin, but we're not going to talk about Muffin. So I got the muffin up there, okay? Now, I'm more a teacher than a preacher, so I, I, I can do this, all right? Plus, Pastor Bill's not here. Do you see anything wrong with that picture? No red flags? One at a time, please. I'm, I'm 72 years old. and uh, Artificial flavor, okay, thank you. All right, isn't that sad? I mean, Betty Crocker, somebody who's like my great-grandmother, lied to us, right, in a way, because look at the picture, the big picture up front. I mean, does that, that looks like blueberries. It's, it's a kind of soybean, and it's not even blueberry uh, flavor in the thing. You think they could squash a few blueberries, right, and stick the, the stuff in there? But it's, uh, what's it, it's number two blue. So I don't know what that causes. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go back and try to find something else, okay? So I, I pulled the Pillsbury thing from the shelf, okay? And so they have these beautiful blueberries right here. And I, we don't have a picture. I, if I had time, Bill only called me Friday on this sermon, so... Uh, and so there's uh, beautiful blueberries here and a sweet little doughboy. And, you know, it even looks like some of you guys in this, in this room, actually. So I won't say who, but all right. But again, right, across, right here in a little small print, it says, with our artificial blueberry bits. Can you imagine what that is? So, okay. I'm keep going. I got some time. All right. So... So the next thing was I saw, uh, I don't know if anybody uh, watches uh, Test Kitchen on PBS, tell you how to cook and stuff. Well, he lined up a whole bunch of yogurts. And the, the container had beautiful strawberries on the outside. And he said, guess what? There's no strawberries inside. It was devoid. It wasn't even pink. Or no, I guess it was pink, but who knows what the pink was, right? So our daughter's visiting, and actually she's back there with uh, Nancy. And so Nancy ran out and got all different kind of flavors of coffee uh, so that April could have what she liked. And so the beautiful muffin here sticking out of the, of the cup of coffee, and guess what? The blueberry-flavored coffee right here, blue baby, right, right? There's no blueberries in this. The only thing that's in here is coffee. What's happening here, okay? And, and then she bought April a, a, a bag of uh, one with a chocolate donut coming out of it. All right? Some of you bought that here. There's no donuts in the coffee. <laughs> and Nancy says, well, why, why would they want donuts floating around in the coffee? So, but, no, I guess that was blueberries. So. so, but anyway, the whole purpose for my saying this is that's a metaphor for the world. It promises much, delivers little. So that's what my sermon is, okay, today. And I actually, there's a Bible verse that talks about blueberry-less 
Muffins. You didn't know that, did you? Any guesses? Any guesses? It doesn't exactly say blueberries in it, the verse, but it's close. Anybody? But it's really meaningful. You know, now's the serious part of the sermon start. Okay. And Proverbs 25:14. Is that a help? Before I say it, I, there's a prize associated with this. If you get it. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Doesn't the world boast about a lot of things? Buy this, take this in, look at this, change that, this, over and over and over again. It promises a lot. But that is not our God. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. Our God is the real deal, and he delivers on his promises. So what I've done, I've strung together some Bible verses that show us what God thinks about you and me. They reflect his character, his attributes, his promises, and it has great implications for us because it will control who we are if we know what those things that he says about it. Okay, so I'm going to read a a string of verses strung together without references to where they're found in the Bible. And I'm going to read it very slowly so all of us can hear it. And uh, in a way that we'll be able to drink it in. Uh, And so the verse in Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that something? Our God says, taste me and see that I am good. How can you get more personal than that? Isn't that what we do when we take communion? It just, we take that bread and it alerts our taste buds. And we take that, uh, the wine and it kind of shocks the tongue. And then we take that in. And where does that all, those, where do those elements go? Into our body. And into every part of us when we take it in. That's really something, isn't it? That's a metaphor for what God wants to do. He wants every part of us. He wants to go from the top of our head to the feet and in every extremity that we have. Nothing apart from God. So let me read this slowly to you so you can see. You can close your eyes if you want if you don't, don't fall asleep. Okay, just drink it in. You may not know me. But I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. And you and brought you forth on the day you were born. 
I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you're my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all of your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sands of the sea. I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. And here's the real kicker. For you are my treasured possessions. Isn't that neat? And that's said in the Old Testament. That's Exodus 19.15. And it's repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. So it's just not a New Testament thing. All the way back when he was talking about his chosen people. For you are my treasured possessions. I desire to establish you with all my heart and with all my soul. I want to show you your great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all of your troubles. When you are heartbroken, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I will take away all pain you have suffered here on earth. I am your father, and I love you, even as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you and not against you and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved. Remember, this is God speaking. I gave up everything I love that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home, and I will throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father, and you are my treasured possession. I like repeating that over and over again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and just pick up a few of these verses that kind of jumped out at me. And maybe uh, that's the the ones that the Lord wants me to emphasize today. Uh, Someone here needs to hear these things. Some of you have been beat up. You've come here to church. You've accepted Christ. And the last thing your family wants is for you to come. 
because you break up the circle and they have offered things to you that were not helpful. Not anything a loving mom and dad would give. Or other areas of your life are just... And so you need to hear this kind of thing. And I need to hear it. This Sometimes, you know, I read this and it brings me to tears. I had a great mom and dad who loved me. And I grew up in a great home. There was laugh and everything. And it was just precious. I appreciate it more now that I'm older. It took a little time to appreciate it, though. But uh, here's what our God, our Father, says about us and thinks about us. No other religion does that. Chris, when he spoke last year, last week, he talked about Christianity being the only, play, only faith that talks about God as Father who cares about us deeply. That's a big deal. That's just not some expression that we use. So let me go over some of the things, and some I'll just repeat, and others I'll make a comment on. For you were made in my image. That's a big deal. I mean, some of you ain't that pretty, but it doesn't mean the outside. It means the inside. But you're changing, right? You're improving. You're making, it takes time to mature. Okay. But we're created in God's image. We have no right to deface it. And many things in society today deface God's image, like abortion and other kinds of things. War, terrible things go on, grinding people up like dust and then just throwing me out in the harvest field. But not our God. I knew you even before you were conceived. That's a big deal. I can remember on, uh, uh, it was uh, NBC. I never watched the uh, Today Show, but I just happened to, I don't know how, why it was on, and they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, the idea of abortion and that sort of thing. And why can't you just change a little bit and, and stop causing all this trouble was one of the commentators made the comment. This is not a little thing. And some of the other moral issues that are being uh, well, the, the, the Supreme Court just approved. That's not a little thing for us. The Bible's loaded with things about male and female and sex and marriage and all these things because it reflects God. It reflects God's image. So he said, I knew you even before you were conceived, and you are not a mistake. There's some people feel like dirt, like tr- they've been trampled on. Okay, and so they they grow up in that kind of atmosphere for all different things, or maybe society says, you know, you're too tall, you're too skinny, you're too wide, or you're the wrong color and you stink, and this I'm great, and you're not. It's a big deal. If you hear that over and over and over again by society or your family or or prejudiced people wherever we go, okay, that's damaging because nobody's a mistake. We have no right to have prejudice. God doesn't show favoritisms, so why should we? And then I'm not necessarily preaching to you, but as the world sees it, the way the world makes it, okay. And so that's an important thing, that we are not a mistake. We're created in God's image, and we're special. It should make us conceited because we all have problems. But we're not a mistake. 
And the other thing that comes up that I under, that, you know, use the highlighter, I am your father. Some people don't have fathers today. 40% of the white family, the uh, Caucasians in the, uh, in the United States, they, the families have no father. In the uh, uh, different black communities and uh, communities of color, 60% have no father in the home. It's devastating. Father, father. To get up in the morning and know my heavenly father is watching over me. Cares about how I treat my wife with respect. Peter says, if you don't treat your wife with respect, your prayers won't be answered. You want to be a jerk? Okay, but not with your wife. Or you wonder why your prayers aren't being answered? What kind of what kind of husband are you? So it's an important thing. So for you are my treasured possession is something else that jumped out at me. Paul talks about this very same thing in the New Testament. And he crafts it in such a way that he communicates to people that we are God's treasure chest. Isn't that neat? We are God's treasures. This is where he puts all this stuff into. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We've been brought with a price. We're, we're, we're these special vessels. It may be in clay jars, as Paul says, but we, he has entrusted us with these things to use for his honor and for his glory. Okay? Um, let's see what other things I put down there for that. All right. So another one is if you seek me with your, your heart, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Hmm. What gets in the way? Self. It can't even be a legitimate thing. Golf. I hate to pick on golfers today. Spouses. Kids. Job, nothing wrong with any of these things, okay? But anything that goes in front of God is a counterfeit God. And we cannot seek God wholeheartedly when other things are in the way. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, I think it is, God says in his word that um, we have to seek him, we have to believe that God exists. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so if we just call on God when we get in trouble or it's a cultural thing or something that, that uh, just feeds, maybe uh, you think well of me in the community because I act a certain way. But if it doesn't run g- deep and God is first, then that's not diligently. That's not wholeheartedly. When we say wholehearted, it means every part of our being is uh, 
seeking God. Then for another, for I am your greatest encourager. A lot to be discouraged about. Watch the TV and the news programs, even the debates, the disrespectful debates, when the whole idea is to communicate what one would do or how one uh, responds to things, and then to have a circus, or other kinds of things. that are th- Again, that's the world system, and we need to be different because we need to be encouragers. When we're around people, are we, you know, get with people like that? Got any friends like that? Do you like to be around people like that? If you're like that, you wonder why people aren't around you. We have a lot to be encouraged about because God is our Father. We know where we're going. And we know who we are. That's a big deal. A lot of people you know, jump out of buildings, take drugs, do all kinds of things because they don't know who they are, where they are, what they're going, and if they're worth anything, all right? So for us to be an encourager is actually to be like God. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we are to be imitators of God. On the faith connection, okay, I have it down, down here somewhere. Okay. okay, at the bottom of the faith connection. Be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. Help the person God puts in front of you. And then under that, it's a, a comment from Matthew. Jesus says, Heavenly Father, I don't want... I'm, not, I'm sorry, it's not Jesus speaking. Heavenly Father, I don't want my life to be just leaves. I want it to produce fruit. Are you producing fruit? Am I producing fruit? Or am I just overstimulated? You know, if you put too much fertilizer on a plant, you'll get nice green leaves, but you won't get any fruit. It has to have a balance of things, of water and sun and and nutrients and the proper soil and all kinds of things go into that. It's the same thing with ours. It's something you have to work at and produce and craft as the Holy Spirit works in your life, okay, so that we can be imitators of God. That's a, that's a big deal. That's a big challenge. Because look what he said about us. Now we have to take that and say that about somebody else if we want to be imitators of God. An encourager, someone who can find something positive about that person, who's down because they've just been crushed because of the the family they're in or circumstances that happen. You can come to that person with the scriptures and say, I've got this promise from God that if you do this, this will happen. That doesn't mean that you won't have troubles in this life or heartache, but you will be doing things God's way. So again, he says, I'm... I am also the Father who comforts you in all of your troubles. It doesn't say here you won't have any troubles. Life isn't that way. Everything happens to everybody. (laughs) And uh, just wake up in the morning and you'll find out what's on your plate. Okay, some horrendous stuff. But God says, I will be there with you in it. 
So when I visit people in the hospital and they got tubes going all over here and they're sick as a dog and can't talk and they doctors don't know and all that sort of thing, I can still bring comfort to that person. Sometimes I don't know what to say, so I just show up and shut up. I hold their hand and pray silently for them because they're so sick, they don't know what's going on, okay? So I can be God's representative, God's ambassador in that room with that person, imitating what God's doing for them. Isn't that neat? That's our faith. That's what we believe in. That's not what the world believes in. You cannot go in the hospital and talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. Or they'll call you down. You're not allowed to do that. Person, pray with them. Well, if they say you, you can, but you just can't go into a room and pray for somebody. It's not allowed anymore. It's a shame. Isn't it sad? Okay. So, again, another line here. It says, when you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. Again, he's repeating it from the first one that he said. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. And, and it, being brokenhearted, it can happen from even the people that love you. Maybe you're misunderstood. Or you've put your trust in someone and, and they blab something all over the neighborhood. Or you've had a relationship with a child and all of a sudden, you know, they... They, break, they step on your heart. It happens all the time. Family members or, or an unfaithful spouse or who knows what, all kinds of stuff the world. And remember that we have an adversary, the devil, who capitalizes on this because his job is to destroy us. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeing whose guard is down, who he can chomp up, so when Satan attacks me, I tell him, Satan, you are not going to have me for lunch. I mean, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but that's how I, I confront him. When I say, that's not me. That's not that person doing. And then I realize that it's the, the third person in this, in this uh, drama. Okay, so uh, God says that he is close to us. And he also says, and, tell, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins is another statement that he makes. This is an important one for people to understand. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you believe that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead, Paul says in Romans 10:9, you're saved. You're a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You never have to ask for that again. It's a done deal. Why? Because that's how our God is. He doesn't drag us over the coals again and again and again. Some of you have had that religious experience. You never really know if you're born again. Isn't it presumptive to assume that, that I'm saved? Uh, but look what I did last week. And then... Well, do this and this and this and you'll make it up and everything will be fine. No, God says if you come to me with that sin and ask for forgiveness, 
It's done. And also in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, he says, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a, a liar. Ooh, strong language. That means all of us in this room, okay? If we're saved and born again, when we, we sin against God, against God's standard, we can go to him and say, I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm going to try again. I'm going to correct these things over here uh, if I can, if they'll let me, and I'm going to move forward. Isn't that wonderful? It's done. We don't have to crawl on the ground. We don't have to go somewhere and do something and do some flips or talk a special language and do all this kind of religious gyrations. You just go to your father, just like hopefully you could go to your own father and say, I apologize. I'm sorry. We all should know how to do that, don't, especially the guys, right? We say it quite a few times a week to our wives, right? Okay, so it's good training. And so uh, that's really wonderful that God says that about them. And then finally, and nothing will ever separate you from my love. And nothing will ever, nothing is what? Zero. We have a symbol for nothing. It's weird, huh? But nothing means nothing, and God, and so, and if you turn to Second Corinthians, he Paul even lists the things that come our way, either from inside of us or outside, or from this uh, the world of of uh, the spirit world. Okay, beyond the, the battles that's going on between Satan and God, and all that sort of thing, God says nothing will separate. you. So we have immediate access to the Father when we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. What a relief. I don't have to be all bound up that whole day trying to, to, to get forgiveness. It's done. I move forward. Go ahead and live. Just like, Mom, I'm sorry I pulled up your flowers. But here, I brought them to you. <laughs> all right. Thank you. It says sweet. And then send me on my way. It's something like that. So, all right. So I'm going to try to finish this up. Reading this to me is more like all these verses. I think of it as like um, uh, goosebumps I get and sometimes tears because it talks about this relationship, this wonderful family relationship that I have with my God. So what I need to do is incorporate these ideas into my life and it will produce peace. Boy, if the world wants anything, it wants peace, but it ain't going to get it. Because people have been slaughtering each other from time immemorial, and it goes on today, and it will go on tomorrow, and the next day, until Christ returns. People try to get peace all different ways, in a bottle, all the other things that you could list, Okay. But Jesus says, and God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus, or Christ, is our peace. It's not a pill. It's not a saying. The very person of Christ is our peace. And so as we surrender to God and get the garbage out of the way so we can have this good relationship, solid one with him, then we'll have peace. 
And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Isn't that nice? All comfort. A God of all comfort says that. But you don't know me, God. You know, people come into my office sometime and they, they say, you, you know, I'm, I, I'm not worthy to be saved. I've done this, I've done that, and all this kind of stuff. And, and so my usually come, come back to that is, have you ever murdered anybody? <laughs> okay, and they say, well, no, I haven't done that. Right, then you're okay. <laughs> the reason why I say that is the Apostle Paul was a murderer. He murdered Christians until the road to Damascus experience. And it bothered him his whole life. You'll see sprinkles of it or think the comments about it sprinkled through the New Testament. I mean, he took men and killed them, fathers. And then a number of years later, he was saved, and he had to face those same people, the wives and the orphans. Not something. Would you do that? I mean, you killed somebody, and then you... You see their family members. So I use that as an example about uh, forgiveness. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. So what I want to do to make an offer to anybody in here who has any doubt about their salvation or has never considered the claims of Christ, and this is the first time you've heard about it, Uh, What I'd like you to do is just put your name on the visitor card in front of you. And even if you've been here 15 years and you're still not sure, it happens, okay? Uh, Put your telephone number down there and I'll give you a call because I would like to meet with you and talk to you about that. You don't have to wait to accept Christ as your Savior. You can do that right now and settle the issue. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect five minutes later but you will be a child of God in a special relationship with him. Isn't that neat? Father, we just thank you for the times that we can get together and discover your word and talk about you and enjoy your company. It's just a sweet thing when we have devotions and ideas about you jump off the page and we have this uh, one-on-one relaxed, comfortable special time with you and I hope we've had that today Father as we've gone over these uh, thoughts that, that you have about us that we really are special and it's available to anyone everywhere through the death and resurrection of your son So I thank you, Father, for uh, life and hope and joy and peace and holding on to our hands as we swerve through life and we hit some potholes and we fall by the side of the road, but you're right there to pick us up. And sometimes you use us, people in this room, to be your representatives and really, really represent you well. So I praise, thank you that that can be a good goal for us. And Father, we love you so much. And we thank you for loving us.
to think about that, um, the kindness that you've shown to us and your provision and your watch care over us is really special. In Jesus' name, amen.